Would you join me in the prayer for illumination? Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our message today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Hear these words. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we've been focusing uh, since Easter on this living the resurrection, how to live out this new life that we celebrate through Easter. And so it's been kind of a tour of the greatest hits, if you will, of things that Jesus has said and that things that Jesus has done, with the emphasis being on what are we doing with that resurrection experience. And so for today, we take up, I am the good shepherd. Listen to my voice, is what Jesus is saying. Now, I have to be honest with you. One of my favorite uh, games when I was a kid was Simon Says. I loved Simon Says. I loved the beginning of Simon Says, right? When they start slowly, right? And, and it's, it's predictable, right? I did not like Simon Says when it got to the middle or the end of the game where they're going fast and they're starting to flip the words around and all of a sudden I thought they, after left, they would go right and they went left again. And darn, I'm out, right? This is also a similar experience I had with red light, green light. It's just hard. I mean, only two options there. Red light, green light. Still a challenge for me. I have to say that being a pastor, I've had the opportunity to do some really fun and crazy things. Um, A chance to kind of explore the places where my uh, church members have worked. I I know here... um, at Chapelwood, I've had the opportunity to have the really privileged tour of going through the uh, Dow facility. Um, in fact, I got to go inside a building called the Death Star. Um, it was very cool. Um, does that speak to anybody? It, it's like the hurricane. Okay, I'm not going to go any further. All right. Um, I, I also had a chance to go down and spend the day on a crew boat um, down at the port. Um, it's been interesting. So in one of my appointments, um, I lived... Uh, um, with a couple, it was my summer appointment in seminary uh, a number of years ago when I was skinny and had hair. Um, And um, the folk that I lived with, they were weekend ranchers, specifically sheep farmers. And I thought this was the coolest thing ever. 
And, and so being a helpful, you know, people pleaser wanting to get in there and, you know, participate, I said, hey, if you have anything that you need help with taking care of the sheep, I'd love to learn, right? Because I was in New Testament this semester before, and I knew all about this kind of, I am the good shepherd. And I'm thinking, I wonder if the sheep will know my name after the summer, right? Oh my gosh, sheep are the most mean animals you've ever met. There's a reason why Jesus calls us sheep, and it's not a compliment, okay? Sheep bite. Could you imagine sheep biting, right? I mean, they're supposed to be that cute, fluffy thing, you know, from our imaginations, from vacation Bible school, right? That they never get dirty, and, and they're always so, oh, no, right? Did you know that you can't pull a sheep anywhere. We'd get the sheep into the chutes and uh, for the purpose of giving them um, antibiotics or uh, worminum, which is also the most disgusting thing I've ever heard about. Um, but anyways, so like you get them kind of into the chute, ready to give them the care, and one of them decides, I'm not moving anymore. I mean, it's not like because there's a puddle in front of them or because there's, you know, really nice food in that area. No, no, they just decide I was like, how ornery are you, right? And you can grab the front. Uh, there's usually like a, a rope on the front of You can pull on them a little bit, but they don't go anywhere when you pull on them. In fact, I struggled with this one sheep for like 20 minutes. And finally, Steve, the guy who was in charge of what was going on, comes around and he says, it's easy, Peter. It's just like being a pastor. You just go like this on their back end and off they go. And I was like, you've never been a pastor, but okay. <laughs> So, so I just want to like build this impression as we start to talk about Jesus's I am statement where he says, I am the good shepherd, right? Um, so as we look at scripture, um, exactly what Jesus is saying here, I just want to take some of these statements one by one. The first is the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, if you're a biblical scholar, it might make you think of David before he became king, right? They said of David that he slew a lion and a bear in defense of his sheep. That's pretty powerful, right? Until you realize that also in the um, uh, Hebrew uh, kind of history and culture that they tended to think shepherds were very brave, but in Jesus' day, shepherds have become just like hired hands, right? They, they were, I mean, like if you couldn't get a job, then maybe somebody will pay you to be a shepherd. And it was thankless work. Um, you're, you know, out on the um, hillside watching the sheep. Um, it was dusty. It was dirty, right? And so this idea of a shepherd laying down their life for the sheep um, is interesting, right? I mean, it's not a risky, this isn't like first responders here, right? It's not like you're going into a burning building or something like that. Um, no, you're watching sheep. I mean, it's almost like watching paint dry, right? But the paint moves around. And, and so Jesus here is saying, um, I get it that it's not risky, but the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, uh, it goes on to say in verse 12, um, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches the sheep and scatters them. Now that sounds like, okay, makes sense. I've seen Bugs Bunny and uh, the Roadrunner and the Sheepdog and all of the Wiley E. Coyote. I got it, right? 
until you start looking into the Exodus law, the Old Testament, right, where it talks about uh, a law of restitution. So a shepherd could be held accountable for lost sheep, but if the shepherd showed up with the remains of a mangled sheep by a wolf, ha-ha, you didn't have to pay for that one, right? I mean, it's like getting your, your paycheck docked for how many sheep you lose, right? And so, okay. And then what's interesting is further down um, in the Mishnah, which is a commentary on the law, it said that a hireling uh, was required to protect the sheep from one wolf, but relieved of his responsibility if more than one wolf was involved. It makes me think of the lone wolf idea, right? I mean, you know, just the idea that Jesus might say, I am the good shepherd, assumes that there is a bad shepherd, right? We tend to have this idyllic idea of what a shepherd is, right? We think of uh, David. We think of the kings of Israel. We think of God as shepherd, right? Psalm 23, right? Um, But what Jesus is pointing out um, is that the worst thing, the thing that um, the opposite of a good shepherd is not a thief. The opposite of a good shepherd is a hired hand. The difference, right? The good shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know the shepherd. That the good shepherd, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And when calls, they come. The good shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. The hired hand is just going through the motions. The hired hand does all the things that make sure that life looks good, but flees if it affects their paycheck. The hired hand is there until a better job comes along. The good shepherd is tied to the sheep. It's a powerful connection. You could say that on a morality scale of one to ten, the hired hand is a lukewarm five, right? Not enough to get anyone upset. No one has waged a war against the evils of hired hand shepherds but it's insidious enough right there. It's insidious enough because it distracts the sheep. It's insidious enough because the sheep who are precious to someone are treated just like a meal ticket. Jesus goes on in verse 14 to say, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and I'm known by my own. um, If you'd spent time with us um, Monday night, we talked about the um, Hebrew word to know, yada, right? This idea that knowing someone is more than just an occasional physical experience or an occasional um, uh, uh, opportunity, but rather it is deep knowing. In fact, the Old Testament talks about a man and a wife who become uh, married. Um, They know each other. You might be surprised to find out that in this section, the Greek word that um, is said that Jesus knows his sheep and his sheep know him is the same Greek word used in the Septuagint, which is substituted for the Hebrew. It all makes sense, I promise. Um, And it's that same idea that to Jesus, we are not just a a bunch of numbers, but rather we are people. We are children. We are not just possessions that might subtract from his daily take-home, but rather we are treasured members of the family. 
Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus says in verse 14, the shepherd knows the sheep because, uh, because he became flesh and lived among us. Okay, that's not really, I'm sorry. Um, uh, a subplot under Jesus knows the sheep um, is this idea in John, same gospel that we're looking at right now. Um, at the beginning of the gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 14, um, it says that um, uh, God uh, became flesh and lived among us. Or as uh, Eugene Peterson says, um, God moved into the neighborhood. But you, you see, Jesus knows the sheep, and the sheep know Jesus because he's not some far-off uh, supervisor. He's not some distant corporate office that requires something of us, but rather he lives in our neighborhood. He lives on Oleander or Huisach. He lives where we are, just off of Oyster Creek, that he's part of our neighborhood. And that's why we know who he is. Verse 16 says, uh, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. Now, I, I know we spend a lot of time in a culture that has hardened the categories. Is that a phrase you've heard before? This is the idea that if you're conservative, you watch conservative news. And if you're liberal, you watch liberal news. And if you're neither, I don't know, um, maybe it's NBC. Um, but this idea that there is a hardening of the categories, that the things that we like on Facebook and social media begin to determine the voices that we hear in our news feed. And over a time, it becomes an echo chamber. This idea that um, there are those who are right and those who are wrong. And if you're part of my group, Group, then you hear the same things I hear, and you must be right as well, because we don't want to be wrong, right? Some of those things that we talk about um, in that kind of right or wrong environment is, um, unless you're part of my church, you don't belong, right? There, there are some uh, conservative, um, let's see, what congregationalist uh, churches um, who have to say nothing to anyone or pay anybody any apportionments or uh, deal with the fact that someone sent them a pastor that they don't like, right? They make all of their decisions themselves. And if you don't get baptized in their water, then you must not be part of the flock. We often use an I am statement to describe, um, you know, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you're outside of that way, truth, and life, they're not part of the flock. So interesting here that in the midst of an I am statement, Jesus says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also so that we might have one flock. I'm not about to say that, you know, people who um, uh, deviate from Orthodox Christianity are somehow also being saved, but I just think it's interesting that here in an I am statement, Jesus is saying, hey, 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 you know me, I know you. You worry about what you got to do, I'll worry about what I got to do. Because it might be a little bit different than you think the outcomes will be. I think this passage of Scripture is very interesting because it falls into a line, uh, a theme uh, of the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, um, Jesus makes, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different statements that begin with, I am the. Right? Are you familiar with these? I am the bread of life. I am the living bread. I am the light of the world. I am the sheep's door. I am the good shepherd. 
I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. And yes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Have you ever wondered why Jesus in the Gospel of John says these I am statements? If you've done any kind of Bible study around the Ten Commandments or around Moses uh, as he's talking to God at the burning bush, you might remember that when, um, when uh, the conversation comes up with who is the God who's burning the bush but the bush doesn't get consumed, what does God say? I am. Now, some uh, Hebrew scholars will say that that is an unconjugated statement of I am. So it's not just I am, but it's I was, I will be. It's kind of all of the ways of describing the presence of someone who is there. When Jesus says, I am, all of these 10 different things, he's hearkening back to that uh, conversation. Do you remember um, when Moses says to God, what in the world do I tell Pharaoh? He says, tell him I am sent you. Those are powerful words. You, you, you got some serious credentials if I am has sent you. When Jesus goes to describe to the Pharisees or to anyone else who he is, he identifies himself subtly by being with God as God. So, so, so what, Peter? Where are you headed? I'm glad you asked. Uh, President Franklin D. Roosevelt got tired of smiling that big smile and saying those empty things when you were hanging out at a White House reception. So he decided, mischievously as he could be, that one evening during one of these receptions that he would find out whether anyone was paying attention to what he was saying. So for the whole evening, as each person came up to shake the hand of the President of the United States, he would say wonderfully with a big smile, I murdered my grandmother this morning. Every person that he greeted said, how lovely, and moved on. Except one foreign diplomat that without missing a beat said, well, I'm sure she had it coming to her, sir. (laughs) The power of listening. You know, I'm, I'm willing to say that the problem today is not that God is not speaking but rather the fact that we have given up the habit of listening. That it is far easier for us to um, talk and fill the space instead of sit in the uncomfortableness of what appears to be silence. And so I imagine it might be helpful for me, as your shepherd, to give you some um, uh, tips and tricks to listening to God. The first one is easy. I take it from anatomy. We have two ears and one mouth. It may be true that we should listen twice as much as we speak. Now you might say, but how do I listen? Great, why don't we read the instructions? It's God's own voice, right? I recently bought a lawnmower. Um, I need to confess to you that I um, have diminished my ability to be a masculine man by getting an electric lawnmower. The marketing on those things is hilarious, right? Powerful, 40 volt, roar, right? And then you start it, and it goes, wee. 
it still cuts everything. It's just not very impressive sounding, right? And so me, you know, thinking that I'm really smart, I didn't actually read the instructions. I just got that puppy out, put the bolts in, and off we went. But it got to where I couldn't really tell you if you asked me how to start it. Because I'd, I'd, you know, I'd grab the bar, I'd push the button, I'd push the button, I'd grab the bar. But apparently you have to do it in a particular order. Huh. Might be interesting. If we want to know more about what God's called us to do, if we want to know more about the good shepherd, maybe we should read what the shepherd has written. Biblical literacy is at an all-time low. I'll give you a hint. You can read a whole book of the Bible in 45 minutes this afternoon, the Gospel of Mark. Um, you, You could also add to it about 10 more minutes and read the Gospel of James. Mark is the briefest, it's like the um, binge version of the briefest gospel because Mark's favorite word is immediately. So it kind of fits with our culture, immediately. And then James, I think, is helpful because it's the most concrete and practical advice, I think, that the um, letters uh, in the New Testament give uh, to people. Mark and James, a great opportunity to listen to what God has written And then the third option, third tip or trick, if you will, to listening to the Good Shepherd. You know, I've always told um, the people who I mentor, listen to the person that can make a difference. Listen to the person that can make a difference. In this time of social media, there are so many influencers. I I filled out a survey the other day um, uh, for a resource, and it asked me what my role was in the church. And and I I know what my role is. I'm senior pastor. But one of the roles listed was influencer. And I thought, oh, Lord, save us. You know, every day we wander further from the truth. Um, And so listen to the person that makes a difference. Remember how Jesus identifies himself. He uses the I am statements. Jesus isn't just being convenient or creative. When Jesus says, I am uh, subtly part of God, not only that, but I am God, he's saying that he's the one who can meet our deepest needs and longings. Seems like we should listen to the one who can make a difference. What's funny is we can sometimes hear that difference here in church, not always from the pulpit. We can hear that difference oftentimes when we are meeting with friends. You know, Methodists really love holy conferencing. It's a powerful thing to start a conversation about Jesus. I believe everybody should be discipling someone, and everybody should be discipled by someone. By listening to someone who can make a difference, you might be listening to the person who's mentoring you in the Spirit. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. It'd be nice if we didn't answer every time he says that, how lovely, and move on. Maybe it wouldn't hurt for us to stop and hear what the shepherd is saying. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.